how should you plan for when your home becomes too small or when the next one gets too big? At Sandy Spring Bank, we're here to help create personalized solutions for financing your home loan. Whether it's a new home or refinance, renovation or addition, fixer-upper or new build. Banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your mortgage. Visit sandyspringbank.com mortgage. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank, equal housing lender. This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by GameTime. I know what you're thinking. Is GameTime my new app for the best deals on last-minute tickets? Is it how I'm going to get to the Raiders homestand this week? Is it quick and easy to download? Yes, it is. Ticket prices for the Raiders drop right before the game starts. So GameTime tracks prices in real time for thousands of trusted sellers. Then shows you the best last-minute deals with prices, wait for it, up to 60% off. Who can't beat those deals? More than 12 million fans have downloaded GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. GameTime app, download today. All right, big episode today. I feel like we could have done at least two hours. We didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, We also have uh, an amazing guest who covers, and he works for The Athletic also. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Mitch Brown comes on to talk about a lot of prospects, Capococo and Kravtsov specifically. Um, but a lot of prospects that'll get you excited for the future. Uh, lots to talk about, so let's get to it. Why wait? Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to another week of the Bushers Breakaway. I am your host, uh, Ryan Mead of the... I stuttered like I didn't know my name. Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan of The Athletic also. Greg, say hello. Gun to your head. Yes. Well, th- what that do you touchy think... subject, to be honest, 2019. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> Chainsaw to your head. <laughs> okay. Halloween, I what... like it. Th- thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the... Two dishes you cook the best. Okay. I make really mean black bean tacos. Like, okay. they're incredible. One of my best dishes. And then uh, anything in the microwave. That doesn't count. No, it doesn't. Uh, but I couldn't think of another thing. I guess like my stir fry is pretty good. My salmon's really good. Well, these are real foods. Yeah, why? I cook. <laughs> I, I do not, but I would put, Wait, yeah, I would I, put I, my, why would you ask me if I didn't actually cook? I don't understand. No, I don't, I don't cook, but I asked anyway, I would put my grilled cheese up against anybody. Your grilled cheese? My, my grilled cheese. Oh. I think it's the best grilled cheese in the world. Okay. Hold on. Pause and we'll continue yeah. this conversation. Welcome to the number one New York Rangers podcast sponsored by the athletic. You can go to that, away. whatever. Um, tell me your techniques of your grilled cheese game. Like, is there a specific movement you have with your grilled cheese? Is there a secret ingredient? Do you pre-butter the pan? What are you doing? Pre-butter the pan. Okay, Old Bay sauce. But but also, yeah. butter the bread. Double down. Double down on the butter. So you're almost double frying. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, special ingredient? There is none. It's literally bread and cheese. I don't know. It's just like... You forgot your love and affection. It... Yeah, exactly, right. which is why it's better than everybody else. My bacon, egg, and cheese is also mighty good. You're, so you're bread and cheese, you're in on it. Basically. Got it. All right, nailed I can't it. make anything from scratch, but you give me eggs, I'll give you an egg. I haven't had eggs in a long time since I started this, I cle- this cholesterol diet. It's been really tough. Yeah, that, that got to suck. 
That is terrible. It's true. All right, let's talk about the New York Rangers and the week they did have, and what a week, what a week it was. A nice 0-3 for the boys. Uh, just to recap, we lost. The Capitals absolutely destroyed us. Uh, the Vancouver game was maybe one of the best periods we played all week, and honestly, I forgot who we played before that. It's been one of those weeks. So Devils, Capitals. Oh, yes, Devils. Ugh. Is there a reason I forgot? There is. Uh, the Devils game also... We did a whole podcast about that game, too. Maybe it's because... Maybe you only retain games that we haven't talked about on a podcast before. I think that's and what happened. As soon as we pod, as soon as we podcast about that game, you just all the all the memory of the game is gone. I have it's to, on record for others to hear. I have to say this now. If you'd like to hear that podcast, you can go to theathletic.com slash BSB. By the way, has to be all lowercase. If you do uppercase, it'll not show up. So uh theathletic.com slash BSB where we did a whole podcast about the devil's game. But just to quickly rehash that, um that game was a bad. Really bad. Really, really bad. The entire week, bad. just pretty bad up until the third period of Vancouver game, right? Like, was before the third period versus Vancouver, was there a moment you, you said to yourself, oh, this is good? Well, it, yes, but it's hard because it's hard to take anything you do against the Senators seriously. So, and it's also hard to remember that game because it happened. I believe Columbus was making his way across the Atlantic. I was talking about this but, week, so... <laughs> oh, this week. Uh, no, nothing good about this week. That's nothing what I thought. Until uh, that third period. Okay, yeah, so I guess let's get to that now. There's been... What would you say the big headline for the week is? Is it the David Quinn hate and firings? Is it... It's interesting, right? Is it, there's, uh, there's a lot to go around here, so I don't even know which our big topic we should start with, but Quinn is definitely the one that comes to mind first for me. Because he has I think I think it, it comes to mind first because it's what everyone it's what everyone is focusing on. And I, I think it's I think it's misplaced anger. I think some of it is justified, and I'd be happy to talk about the parts of it that I think are justified, which I know we're going to. But I do think a lot of it is how we spent all offseason trying to temper expectations. I, I think you and I were doing our very best to say best case scenario. This was a team that could possibly sneak into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, best case scenario. And that's absolute best case scenario. And we would say it every time we brought a guest on. What would we talk about? We talk about how even with Truba, Fox, all the new defensemen, defense is still going to be a problem. So it's hard to compete in the NHL when your defense is, in some instances, a literal black hole. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that. But then the Rangers played a cockamamie schedule to start the year. Cockamania, yep. They... They won their first two games. So after starting the year 2-0 and giving us a literal month to think things over, I think some people started to believe the timeline was accelerated a little bit more than we all thought it was. It is Even not. though we've, we had Sean Tierney on this podcast last week. Uh, obviously, when we had him on, the Rangers had only played three games. Have you happened to see so, the chart from today? Because we are so bad that we don't actually make it on. It, it's it's pretty it's but even back when the rangers were two and one a week ago this time sean came on this podcast and said look it's incredibly hard to take anything seriously from this small of a sample size however the rangers have not played well these first three games and all of that could have been true but the rangers were two and one the rangers scored 10 goals in their first two games they ran into a red hot Connor mcdavid people were coming up with reasons to justify the poor showing on Thursday. And then what happens? The Rangers play three games in four days. And in every single one of those games, 
every single one of those games, they got exposed. Nice sound effects. So it's, but th- this is all to say, David Quinn is the reason we're having this conversation. It's fascinating to watch the worm turn in real time with coaches. It, it doesn't happen in every sport. It, it it's happening. It's, it seems like it's starting to happen with the Giants and Pat Shermer. People seem to be turning on him. There was never a worm with Adam Gase and the Jets. I think everyone was just looking for a reason to hate him the second he was signed. I think he, it was like, really, Adam Gase? Like, that's what we're going with? Not, not a fresh uh, new coach? So. Right. Aaron, Aaron Boone seems to be fine. Nothing to worry about there. We all saw what happened with Mickey Calloway, so we don't need to go back down that road. Sorry, but Vance. It, it's not about, it's not always about Boone, fun. the losing part. It's always fun to see it. Fun's not the right word. It's always interesting to see the moment the worm turns. And it seems like for whatever reason, we've decided the six game mark in his second season is when we decide, oh, he's bad. And I think that's unfair for multiple reasons. I do too. The first of which is he still, we have yet to see David Quinn with an NHL roster. I I was actually just speaking about this to uh, one of our former supporters. And I, I said to Mike, uh, he's like, what do you think about Quinn this season? Well, I don't think Quinn's – you're not going to know what Quinn is until next year because this team is just – you're going to look for signs from Quinn that he's developing this team correctly. Now, is he through six games? You can make a case yes and no. You really can. I know the case – I know you're screaming at your radio, wherever you are listening to this, your your radio, your, uh, your, uh, your earphones, your iPods, your whatevers at this point and being like there's no way he's been terrible but i think there's cases both ways you're but you're not going to see the real david quinn until middle of next year because that's next year is when we're starting to compete next year is when we're really trying to be a real team but this year we're loading up for the top four pick baby and that's what's happening so far and it's looking good for our chances right now i mean we moved up to the second last year obviously you guys all know that praise be but to get a top four this year, in a, in a loaded draft class, to move forward in the future, to get ready to run, is what the plan should be. So what Quinn's doing right now, I don't think you're really going to know if these decisions don't matter the weight that they will have in the future. And I don't know if you feel the same way, Gregory. Well, it's 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 not even these decisions will have the weight. It's, it's the things we're choosing to hold against David Quinn that I find interesting, right? There, there are two instances where I, I think we we need to give David Quinn heat for it. Um, and we might as well do this now first because I think it's better to criticize Quinn and then defend him afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Quinn preaches accountability, which I think as a fan base we like because it sure felt like under Elaine Vigneault there wasn't accountability for the actions of the coaching staff or of veteran players in general. So when a new coach comes in and says – You're going to earn the time that you get. That is how I'm going to grade everything. This is going to be an effort-based operation. We like hearing that. And then we all sit down and we're watching this Canucks game. We've never doubted Mark Stahl's effort. We, I would bet a billion dollars that Mark Stahl every night is playing at 100% of what he can play. His capability. Right. The problem we've always had with Mark Stahl is just Mark Stahl at 100% still isn't a good defenseman. Uh, But if you're going to preach accountability, and he did it mid-game with Brady Shea, who didn't have the world's greatest game, but also didn't have the worst defensive game we saw of any player on the ice. um, If you're going to criticize Brady Shea's game, 
it it sure is inexcusable in my mind to allow Mark Stahl to take a retaliatory penalty for something that wasn't even a bad play. Like Mark Stahl got hit hard in the corner. Okay. Quite hard. That's fine. I, I didn't think that was a dirty hit. I didn't think it was a bad hit at all. But if you're going to, if that's going to happen, Mark Stahl's been in this league long enough where he can't get up and immediately cross check someone. That, that needs to be that your veterans can't be setting that example for your younger players. If we want to speak on accountability, right? Like if, if this is strictly and what you're looking at, Mark Stahl, that, that's the kind of professional you want to emulate. You don't want to emulate his game because you want to be good, but you want to emulate his play style, his work ethic. And if you see that, I I, I tweet I was at the game, I tweeted it the second I saw it. I was like, great, Mark Stahl just took a petulant child penalty. Because that's he that was a spoiled brat penalty. That was a I just got embarrassed on my home ice. I didn't like that. So now I'm going to commit a penalty. Penalty. And the Rangers were down in the game. The Rangers were still getting worked by the Canucks at this point. That penalty was embarrassing. And what's even, it, it's impossible to watch that penalty happen, preach accountability, and then not hold the, the perpetrator accountable. It, it, it can't work both ways. Mark Stahl can't play by different rules just because he's this team's de facto captain. Right. If anything, the big A. He, should be, he should have the shortest leash on the team because you should be showing the rest of your roster Mark Stahl can't get away with it, so neither can you. And it we can we we can talk at nauseum about just Mark Stahl, the hockey player, and it's it's been bad. It's been especially bad. The double the, in devil, the last the three Devils games. game was quite awful, but that's yeah, he literally thing. left Kyle Palmieri open on the power play. But like, so his his just in game performance has been bad the last three games. But again, we understand that Mark Stahl is probably just doing. Everything the coaching staff asks of him, if not more, the problem is he's just bad at it. But then you watch what he does against Vancouver, and you don't hold him accountable when you are the accountability head coach. That's a bad look, and I think that deserves a whole heap of criticism. Well, the other criticism he's going to get, and that's legit criticism, by the way. Like I think that you have, you make a very strong point there, and anything that involves Mark Stahl is also always a fire to sit around. Right. It's it's super easy, and we've talked. We we talked. We. Hey, we've we talked, talked about, about it. that. Last hey, week. we've talked about yeah. it. <laughs> we, it, the easiest thing you need to do on Twitter to get likes is say Mark Stahl bad. Hey. Everyone will like it because it's very true. All right, I'll tweet so it we, right. I'll tweet it right now. How many likes will I want, get before the end of the, uh, the end of the we'll, podcast? We'll, we'll circle. We'll circle back to that. It's the easiest, easiest thing to do on Twitter on Rangers Twitter is just say Mark Stahl bad. People will like it. And they'll eat it up. But it's. So we have to move beyond that, right? We can't use the numbers against Mark Stahl because either the Rangers know the numbers and they don't want to do anything about it, or they're just they're using numbers that don't exist. So if we move beyond the Mark Stahl's bad at hockey and here's why discussion, the discussion then needs to be, all right, if we're keeping everybody accountable for their actions, Mark Stahl broke the rule. He disobeyed the coach's orders. And yet he wasn't held accountable. That's, in my mind, the biggest thing of the last three games you can hold against David Quinn. I, w- I will support it. I will back you up. I will be there 100% of the time. If you're going to preach accountability, it has to work for everyone. Okay, so and let's for talk whatever about the reason, it got, didn't work against He Stahl. got criticized for us. He made some comments about my lord and savior, Kapokako, praise be. 
And uh, well, well, no, you keep going, keep going, because I I have a thought on that. I'm happy you brought it up. I, well, I want you I want you to go first. Yeah, well, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Is because well, he's talking about my boy, so I can't always I, I can't sit back. I I, can't, I don't know the exact quotes in front of me. I should have them. I'm sorry, but it's pretty much he said we need more consistency out of them. He needs to bring the game. He needs to play in our system, and uh, that's pretty much paraphrasing it. And then a lot of the feedback was, this is a kid that was playing against adults. He doesn't need to play in your system. He's proved he can play hockey. That's why he's the number two overall pick. He's still developing, guys. And what Quinn's doing here is taking the pressure off of him and putting it on himself. There's a lot that Quinn's doing that is just protecting Capococco. Some of the quotes were out of context. There was, he, he obviously expects great things from Capococco, but we all do. I don't think that's some sort of far-fetched idea. It's truly not. And to have Quinn come out and say this, he's going to get asked about Kako every goddamn press conference for the rest of the year. His number two overall pick is the Lord and Savior himself. So I that- think the, the, the comment that I think got everyone worked up was basically Quinn, again, I don't have the exact quote like you do, but it, it, it surmised to basically Quinn saying the things that made him the number two overall pick aren't the things that are going to make him a successful NHLer. And people ran with that because they're like, what do you mean? Are you telling me the elite talent he showed in a league against grown men isn't good enough for your system? You're not good enough for Capo Caco, blah, blah, blah. Like that, that I think was the line of thinking. I do think, I don't, I don't know if it was taken out of context because I, I think Quinn, the way he said it, that's how it came off. I just don't think he said exactly what he was thinking. He was trying to explain something and I, I, I'll probably get flamed for trying to defend David Quinn here. But I, I think what Quinn was trying to say is just because Kako has been successful in the past doesn't mean he doesn't have something to prove here. Yeah, but at, the, think, at the end of it, he goes – I have the, some of the, the ending quote right here from uh, Vince's article uh, from USA Today. He wants to learn, Quinn said. He's a guy that's always looking for help and looking to be better, and we're confident he will. It's not like he doesn't believe in Kako, guys. Right. He didn't. He didn't say Kako sucks. Yeah. It, it, this kid's the, a piece the of way shit. he was, <laughs> the way he was trying to describe it. It's basically when when a when, look when good college quarterbacks come out. Right. What does every coach say? Just because you had success in college doesn't mean you're going to be successful on Sundays. And no one really gets upset when that's said. I think Quinn was trying to say what everything Kako Kako deserved to be taken number two overall. Kako clearly is. One of, if not the best player from last year's draft class. That doesn't mean Capo Caco has done everything well so far this season. I think, and I'd be hard-pressed to find four forwards that have played better than Caco. It, it's it's not hard to be one of the four best forwards on this team. There's, there's some legitimate criticism about him, despite him, again, being an absolute deity, praise be. It's the fact that... He still gets tired and a little winded at some points. His conditioning isn't up to speed. He hasn't had a full year of NHL conditioning yet. Yeah, he played in a men's league, but it's not the same. Like, I know it sounds crazy. It's just not. These guys are, yeah. be- are better players. So, he once he has more conditioning and he gets – he's a great skater, but his top speed isn't great, guys. He's going to be – once he and those things are learnable. Like, he can learn those things. When once, those, once that happen, he's going to be an absolute dominant force. His puck control Quinn- is the best I've ever seen of any Ranger player. And Quinn says all these things, and what does he do? He puts Kako on the first power play unit for the next game. Hey, put him on so the first line, like... too, Greg. It wasn't he, he was on the first line, too, man. Not just the power play for the Capitals game. He was on the first line. I don't think he was. Are you sure? Yeah, no, Kreider was. 
I'm going to double check, but I'm pretty sure he Ryder was on the line. first line for both those games. Okay. I'm checking right but now. Kako, Kako, because he made these comments after the Capitals game. Okay. That's fair. He put him on the first line and for Vancouver. That's what I'm thinking. You're right. He didn't put him on the first line for Vancouver. Either. Ryder was he on put the him first. on the first power play unit. No, he was. I'm telling first... you, he was not on the first line. I swear to God, he was on the first line on Friday. He wasn't. So I was Kako. physically in the building and I watched it. He was not on the first you, line. You were not there on Friday. We were together in a bar. Okay. I'm going to double check and, but, that. No, but Sunday, which was the Canucks game. Correct. You're right. Kreider, he was, Kreider was on the first line for Sunday. I thought for the Capitals game, Kaka was on the first line, but I could be mistaken. No. People are yelling you at are us mistaken. for talking about this. So You are mistaken. Okay. People are yelling at you because I am right, and I like being right. I'm double checking right now, but keep going. Um, We would have made a big fucking deal about it if Kaka was on the first line for that game. Like, we wouldn't have been normal human beings at the bar. I guess you're right. I know I'm right. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm still looking through the timelines of some people to try and find it, but that's I, fine. I cannot. Anyway, it it Quinn says those things, and he's still giving Kako all the opportunity in the world. And then the thing I have, honestly, speaking of Kako on the first line, this this is actually a pretty decent transition for it. Transition. I am. I'm legit confused by people who want Kako on the first line. I get it. What does that prove? Uh, it just gives him more space to work. I think he's obviously going to produce more. Yeah, but is with... that going to is that going to teach him anything? No. Uh, well, it teaches him how to play with great players like Mika Zvinajad and Artemi Panarin. And but do we want do we want when we took Kapokako second overall? Did we think he was going to be just a really good passenger, or is this a kid we're trying to groom to be one of the best complete forwards the Rangers have? And you... if being if being that guy, anyone can. And, and this gets to the the Jesper Foss stuff today because Foss was on the top line after honestly playing one of the three best games the Rangers had against Vancouver. Jesper Foss, the thing we love about him is you can put him on any line Grinder. and he won't, he won't make that line worse, right? Cabo, uh, Jesper Foss is the jack of all trades and the master of none. He makes, he will play at his best ability on whatever line you want him to. That line will not be worse because of Jesper Foss. At the same time, that line will not be better because of Jesper Foss. Like, Jesper Foss perfectly exists however you want him to exist on whatever line you want him to exist. That's what makes him so easy to move up and down the lineup. That's what makes him great to play in the bottom six with guys you're trying to get going. And that's what makes him great, honestly, to play with Mika and Panarin. Because Mika and Panarin are going to cook. They're going to do... Those guys have been electric in every game the Rangers Panarin, have played. Even the just games, a side note, Panarin is absolutely ridiculous. It's incredible. unbelievable what he generates and produces. And, and for his size, because um, I got the, the pleasurable chance to stand next to him, not much bigger than me, which I'm 5'8", so on a good day. I It's it's shocking how like athletic and strong he is for his size and how crafty and creative he is. It's He's just something else. I can't even believe he's a Ranger sometimes. Yeah, but those guys are going to do what they do, right? It, mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter who else is playing with them. And they, they've proved that because the Rangers put Kreider with them, who continues to be one of the worst forwards the oh Rangers have going so right now. So snake-bitten, like, at every and, chance. No, but not even – dude, it's not even snake-bitten because he's just putting the – you're not sp- snake-bitten if you just put the puck on the goalie. It's Snake-bitten is he has golden opportunities that are getting denied that otherwise shouldn't be denied. Chris Kreider is having golden opportunities that he's just putting in people's pads. What's the term? That's, well, that's not snake bit. He's not even hitting that's the just net. That's ice cold. What's, what's, what's the term when you're not even hitting the net? Bad. That's the term. <laughs> like, no, seriously, snake, yeah. snake bitten is when, like, 
you're in a slump and people are making ridiculous plays to keep you out of the net. That is snake bitten. Chris Kreider is not asking anyone to do ridiculous plays to keep him out of the net. He's doing it himself. Every time he gets a look on goal, he's putting it right in the goalie or he's missing the net completely. Well, I was That's wrong. I was wrong. That's I was wrong literally calling, just bad. I was wrong calling Rick Nash snake bitten all those years then. Fuck you. <laughs> I know what you're trying to do, and I'm not going to let you do it. Okay. Not letting you do it. All right. Listen. But no, so, no, but Panarin and Mika were still getting their chances even with Chris Kreider on that line. And uh-huh. even if you want to squint and say Chris Kreider played better against the Canucks, I wouldn't say he did. I still thought he played a pretty poor game by Chris Kreider's standards. Well, the third period, it's, everybody it's still, played like at 150%. Everybody. I, I wouldn't say Chris Kreider did. He still, I even. Even when the Rangers have looked their best, I'm still left kind of being frustrated about Chris Kreider. But well, my point well, is, we they got a little off going. track here. My my point is, you put Jesper Foss on that line. He's not taking away from anything. He's not adding to anything. Yes, but what it's like if if Panarin and Mika are combined 99 out of 100, and all you need is a one from the third person on that line for it to be at full capacity, isn't that wasting? what you think Kapokako could be to put it on that line. Wouldn't you rather, we've talked about this before, right? Expanding the offense off the top line. You, there is a, the Rangers should stack their lines, right? Every NHL team should stack their lines, but it's hard to stack your line better than Panarin and Zibanejad. Like those two alone is a stacked line. So it really doesn't, do you really want to try and go for extra credit and put, Kako on the top line or would we be having I honestly I I need to know are we having this conversation about should Kapokako be on the top line if Chris Kreider is just average like if you're if your second line has Kako and average Chris Kreider does it even matter who's the center second line center on that line it probably doesn't that's still a very we still have this conversation if, if Kreider is average we absolutely do because people, wanna, I don't think so. No, people well, want to see I, no, the, shi- the, the shiny new toy. Like that's what Kako is—the shiny new toy. But the the, the toy would be sh- shining more if he had. Right now, Kako's on an island because Kreider is awful, and the Rangers don't have a second line center. So the desire to put Kako on the top line is more about the fact that Chris Kreider's been bad, and the Rangers can't finish figure out second line center than it is about he needs to be playing with better players. He needs to be playing with better players because Chris Kreider needs to be better. Like that's that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. Kapokako would look better this year. Yes, if if Reinstrom and Brett Howden were better, Kako would look better. But more importantly, if Chris Kreider wasn't a dumpster fire, I don't think we're having this conversation. I think the conversation solely focuses on who the second line center is, like it did in the first two, three games of the year. But we now have six games under our belt where Chris Kreider flat out has been awful. So I think the conversation, I we can still, Leas, we'll have it right. Leas Anderson should still be at the second line center of this God, team. Do we have two and, and a half hours for this podcast? Because I feel like we have another hour and a half worth of content. And we have a guest in like 10 minutes. I know. But like Leas absolutely should be the second line center. That's fine. The Brett Howden thing, it's a little confusing. I thought Howden looked good in the anything. Vancouver game. That's just me, but. He looked better. He was noticeable. He was I, crazy noticeable comparatively to the other two games he was in. It's kind of fun. Like, when I'm physically at the game, I don't want to live on Twitter. So, it's it's purely just eye test and that's it. 
and you always make note of the players you see the most. Mm -hmm. And outside of Adam Fox is the most noticeable New York Ranger they have besides Panarin and Zibanejad right near. I fucking love that guy. Um, But Howden was better, like you said. I just, I understand it. I just think I don't want to have a who should be the second line center conversation again until Chris Kreider proves to me that he's a fucking second line winger. Because right now, the biggest problem the New York Rangers have is they have about four forwards. Well, let's quickly, one of just so people that are listening, maybe not know, maybe not, might not know the line versus Arizona. If you're listening to this earlier, maybe you're listening to this later in the week. I don't know, but I'm going to quickly go through it. It's a first line is Panarin, Mika Fast. You guys knew that already. Which I like, which I like. Big fan, big fan of that line. Uh, Cry- the second line is Kreider, Howden, Kako. A line that needs. I'd to rather be... I'd rather Anderson. Same. But uh, I, it, it I would like to is. just dabble with Anderson and see if it works. But it is what it is. Lemieux, Strom, Booch is line three. I actually like that line. I think Strom. Yeah, and the, and it 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 honestly played really well against the Canucks. I I understand the frustrate the love affair this fan base has with Pal Buchnevich is heard. We are part of it. We support it. It. I don't think it's imperative. I Booch played well against the Canucks. He earned himself more ice time as that game went along. I, I he don't was believe incredibly this noticeable the in one, the third period. The one he shot he blocked that goal from Ooh, happening. Oh, that was hot. But yeah, the the thing with Booch is like this isn't the demotion. This is one of the times where I feel like Booch. This is this is the team spreading out the offense and trying to generate more offense on different lines. And that's what I'm taking away from it. And the final Not line, just that, but the, the, that that third line looked good. Like at, we're complaining. We're bitching about the Rangers not having enough offense to score with teams in the NHL. So it's, oh, Lemieux, Strom, Booch worked at a certain level. I I get that we want Buchnevich higher up in the lineup just because he's everyone's child. But at the same time, look, if it's working, don't break it. You got to find something that works. And in that moment, the Rangers found a little something that worked. So you got to roll with it, at least for another game. Um, The final line is Smith, Anderson, and McGag and Haley sits. So and I, I'm glad you know McKeg. I want to see one goal from him this year. That'd be nice. Um, and, yeah, and and I, I saw I saw you mention this on Twitter, and I I'm, I'll back you up on it. Brendan Smith is not a problem for the New York Rangers. He is not. Not only is it a problem, he's a solution. And I can't believe I can say that. Where when Rick Carpadella came on this podcast, he was like, you know, he's playing the penalty kill. And you know what? He's been more than serviceable at winger. I wasn't even that upset with him at third wing. I know that's how crazy that sounds. But Brandon Smith in general hasn't been a negative. Not at all. Hasn't been a takeaway. So people that are on are out there yelling like he's a defenseman, take him off of the wing. Right now he's kind of a value. And I, I hate It's crazy. And I, I will stick to my guns by this. And if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me say this. I am all in on the conspiracy theory that the Rangers are building value for Stroman Smith. I think it, they build value by having Strom at center and Smith being a winger and providing versatility. Something I've talked about before, but I truly believe it. I really do. The other, the other thing I do want to talk to you about, the Canucks game in particular, because I saw you going off on it. Mm-hmm. And I, as someone that was just sitting at the game, it wasn't anything I thought about. Yeah. You thought that was one of the worst officiated games you've seen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, a Ranger game. Not like Sharks Vegas. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Like, I can only think of two instances where I disagreed and got upset about it. I th- I thought it was a perfectly adequate. I think NHL official. Like any anytime you go to a hockey game, you're not going to like the calls. So if you accept that and then you just grade it on that shitty scale, I thought it was. Uh, there were two calls I hated. The Shea interference was not a penalty. That's bad. I'll go to my grave saying that. I 
It, what, what's the interference? That Chase just faster than the guy he was next to? Cool. Is that the interference? Cool. That's not interference. That was that was embarrassing. And then Booch did get tripped in the third. So I like, think those are. I think I get a little skewed here for the last three games because even when we spoke about the Devils game on our Athletic Pod, there were a couple non calls both ways, Devils and Rangers, that were pretty unbelievable. And then there was twelve actual penalties called. So watching that Vancouver game where there's some blatant penalties and blatant non penalties. And I guess what I also meant by one of the worst officiated games was the amount the puck hit the ref at the end of the game. I know he's trying to get out of the way, and it's his job to avoid the puck as best as possible, but when we were at crunch time and we were still pressuring, the puck hit the ref multiple times in the corner, and then during a pass out to try for a scoring opportunity, hit the ref again. Dude, it is not your job to be a blocker, and that's exactly what you were. And that's kind of what I was discussing when I said worst officiating. Like, the ref was in the way multiple times of the puck. And I hadn't seen that in a long time. It, it, it didn't necessarily stand out a ton being at the it, game. It could have, to me, it could have affected the ending outcome. Like, if that pass yeah, actually at the same time, don't, out. Sure, don't let yourself be in that position. That's an easy way to avoid it. Like, as, as the Rangers, you don't want that shit to happen. I know. Saints, don't put yourself in that position. Saints fans all crying right now. Not not the soccer team, the football team. Yeah, but the the uh, the Booch trip I thought was clearly a trip, and it was a little bullshit. It wasn't called, and then the Shea interference, and that wasn't even like it. Not only is it just a hockey play, like Shea's just faster, so you can't call him for interference just because he's faster. Seems a little messed up, but the the good things. Before we get to Mitch, well, we got we got to do like two five star questions, so let's do that real quick. And why then... don't we do those? At, why don't we do those after Mitch? No, I like doing them now. There's right. There's always the same spot. Consistency. We'll be quick. There's only two. All right. All right. Uh, first one. If, if you want to leave a five star question, go to our iTunes. Go to Bushers Breakaway. We'll leave a five star review. We'll leave it. On, we'll read it on the show. Uh, love the show. Good morning, boys. This is from Donnie SD. <clears throat> Sorry, love the podcast. I am a native San Diegan, but longtime Ranger fans. Uh, go after yourself, San Diego. Since the early 90s. On the left coast, for the reason I love the show, it gives me a peek behind the, the veil of the local uh, thoughts behind the team. Question for you, good sirs. In addition to the podcast, I read a lot of local New York media articles, and I'm, counting, I'm com- always coming across Larry Brook articles. Some of his quote-unquote thoughts seem spot on, and some of them seem quote-unquote out of left field. Locally, what is the general consensus on Larry? Uh, Larry is a legend. But the problem with being a legend is you usually see yourself become the villain in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say Larry is trying to become more analytically sound. Even if he disagrees with what those numbers say, he's at least trying to understand them. Um, I do think it's gotten to a point where the front office not only knows who Larry is, but knew who the people were that were feeding Larry insights. And they've cut that off for the most part with Larry Brooks. I agree, and I've also heard the same thing. I don't. I don't think necessarily that Larry Brooks is inherently bad because he he puts in the time and the effort, which is like it's 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 kind of the same with Rick. We don't agree with everything Rick says. We don't agree with everything Larry says, but both of them are trying to understand the game in a way that they didn't need to understand about understand it in the 1980s. Um, and some of it, they don't want to understand willingly, but they're both trying. I I'd say, I I'd say it's good to read Larry 
it's also better to take Larry with a big iceberg of salt. I think sometimes Larry says things to get clicks because his job is to get clicks. And I yes, don't blame agreed. him whatsoever. But I think Larry that- Brooks is an old time columnist where the columnist sometimes says something a little racy, subject considering, just to get you to buy the paper the next time he has something to say. And it works because Larry is really good at his job. And he won't come, really good. won't come on the podcast. We have a sticker. Will not. We have a sticker of him going out, by the way, for some of our supporters. He definitely uh, doesn't even know it exists. He has no clue. I'll tweet it at him tomorrow. Um, uh, this is from – oh, he finishes by saying, uh, keep up the good content, and uh, we're crushing the content and all that stuff. Very nice. Thank really? you so much, Donnie. Uh, last one. Palms96 says, best pod. How much longer do we have to live through this Smith and Haley? And when the shit is Anderson going to get some playing time? Hearing uh, Quinn pr- praise him – praise me – and say he's going to get more time is getting old. And then he actually does say praise be at the end. That's funny. Um, I think we covered some of that. But I think Haley is just like – I think you're, we're going to get a seventh-round pick for Haley. Just like we did with McLeod last year. That's why we have him. Is that crazy? Ball dick theory. You know where I stand. Okay. We're not doing this. All right. We're going to go over to Mitch who uh, has done some serious deep analysis on Kravstov and Kako before the season started. I read some of his articles today. They are deep analysis. If you want to read on Kako's game or uh, or – Craftsaw's game, you can read his stuff. I'll probably say that again in two seconds. So let's transition. Transition. Hey, we're back with our guest of the day. We have our co-worker of The Athletic, Mitchell Brown. Mitch, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course. It's always good to represent the brand here at The Athletic and I guess, uh, you know, kind of co-mingle. But you did something where you wrote, was it six high-profile pieces on draftees? Indeed. And uh, two of those happen to be New York Rangers. One of them, our Lord and Savior, Kapokako, praise be. And the other, uh, famous AHLer and soon-to-be KHLer, I kid everyone, stop yelling at me by Telly Kravstov. So we brought you on to kind of talk about both those players. Um, and maybe even Jack Hughes, who I think you also wrote about. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, we can talk about the entire Rangers prospect pool up and down as well if you want. Woo! Now I'm getting really excited because I guess you know <laughs> a lot about Igor Shostukin also, which I'll never be able to say his name. <laughs> I can watch him play for hours. His footwork in net is, I mean, it's got to be some of the best in the world. Well, let's start right there, right? Uh, small sample size. Our good friend and prospect expert Drew Way also just said today that uh, he's pretty much been absolutely outstanding in his starts from Hartford. Have you gotten a chance to watch any of those? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't take any notes on the one game that I managed to catch on him. Mm-hmm. But uh, in previous viewings, what has always stood out to me, like with Scott St. Petersburg, it's, it's the footwork. It's the control in that. He has a few things that you want to see him rein in. You know, you want to see him get a little bit more from the center, but his footwork is so quick and so precise that it allows him to make, obviously, the high-end stops that you don't expect a goalie to make. But also just the consistent, you know, the presence in goal is a really, really important thing that he has in his game. And I think you're looking at a potential starting goaltender in the very near future, provided he gets that opportunity, of course. I think the opportunity will come uh, after the trade deadline, most likely, or at some point, at least, or as early as next year. We'll see what happens then. Um, I guess let's start with the guy that interests me the most is Capococco. Your uh, article on TheAthletic.com, you can find The Athletic today at TheAthletic.com slash BSB, um, on Capococco is very extensive, and one of the most notable aspects of his game is puck control, something I feel very strongly about with Kako. What I guess I'll ask a, a sort of, Screwball question. What are the bad aspects of Kapokako's game? <laughs> um, well, I think when you're dealing with a player who is as talented as he is, there are elements that are less 
than the others, but they're not negatives. Like I think if you look at his skating ability, he's not as good of a skater in, ter in terms of open ice stride as he is a shooter, puck handler, but he's not a below average skater. He's not a bad skater. You know, his stride leans a little bit on the wide side during recovery. So as in, you know, when he's fully extended and bringing his leg forward, you want to see it come into the middle or stay under the middle. And it comes out a little bit wide on his end. But really, that's like sort of the only thing that when I watch his game, that seems to me it'll impact. It'll change the way that he creates offense as opposed to how he did in legal last year. But it's not going to be something that, you know, impacts the quality of chances that he's going to create. It's just going to look slightly different. So one of the, one of the things us Ranger fans have very much struggled with over, uh, let's see, they've been around since 1926. So let's call it 100 years. We're not exactly the most patient bunch in the world. And it's, it's coming out in force already this year. What do you think? Kako, no, I asked this question admitting that Kako hasn't played poorly. This isn't saying he's been bad. But what do you think his learning curve from what you've seen is reasonable for this year? Well, when you're dealing with players who are centered around their ability to make plays with control. So there are a lot of guys who can make one-touch plays. Uh, Kako is obviously one of them, but you know the nucleus of his game is the puck handling. It's the ability to hold on to possession for an extended period of time to prod the defense until he finds an opening. Learning curve with that, just because in the NHL it's very different. You know, league is a fast-paced game. It's tight. Gaps close quickly, and so it really comes down to timing with Kako. I think physically he's there. I mean, we we've seen instances already where he's out muscling people. It just comes down to you know, finding how defenders close gaps, how precise they are, and the pace that they come at him with. And then he'll be able to integrate the hands and the feet and the physicality into more of a symphony. He'll be able to figure out how to get between those two defenders who close in on him. He'll be able to figure out how to escape from behind the goal line or from the boards, and that'll allow him to start fleshing out his game and creating more in terms of offense. So I would expect that learning curve to be relatively short i don't expect it to be something that you know come december i don't think we're having this conversation i think he's you know adapted to the speed he's figured out what he can and what he can't do at that point i i don't i don't see it as much of an issue and i think again you're still looking at a guy who could quite easily win the calder trophy and is going to be a star forward for a decade if not longer me clapping over here my lord and savior um <laughs> quick question i guess how long have you been covering prospects this is the first time you and i have, have actually spoken uh that is a very good question i think for the most part it it started maybe in in 20 2013 or 2014 oh, so i was writing for all about the habs and then recently like it's been in the last two years where i've moved on to writing on larger platforms like the athletic and ep rinkside so you're obviously very good at your job, otherwise you wouldn't be here. In the last, uh, since you've been covering prospects in general, who would you say has better puck control than Capo Caco that's come up? Oh. oh Hard hitters I, right now. Hard hitters. Yeah, that's, that's a tough question because I think, I think there are guys who handle the puck better, but it's, it's circumstantial, right? Like I think Rasmus Dahlin is a better puck handler relative to his position mm -hmm. than Kako. But I think in my time of watching this, you have Elias Pettison, who <sighs> he's more he's more 
outwardly talented in one-on-one situations, but that doesn't make him better. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the actual puck control, in terms of what he can do along the boards, in terms of the impact that he has, you know, he has the open ice moves. He can bully guys along the boards, and you know, he can also like when they're falling, nutmeg them. So I, I think, you know, it's probably got to be, be between him, Darlene, uh, maybe throw Austin Matthews and Pedersen in there as well. That's a quite a group I'd like to be included in pretty much always. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, other than the puck control, which I believe is his number one aspect, would you say maybe his strength and size is the number two, or what, what would be the follow-up for Kako? Um, yeah, I think the strength, but again, it's, it's the interaction of the tools, right? It's how he uses right. the strength. He's not just trying to, you know, slip checks and bully guys. You know, he's not, he's not playing bully ball out there or anything. He's actually trying to make skilled plays using the body. A lot of it is preemptive contacts. Like there's the Peter Forsberg type stuff where he just completely smokes a guy and, uh, and then runs through and gets a shot. But really it's the small hits. It's, you know, a guy comes at him and he just with perfect timing, gives him a little bump that puts him off balance and then allows him to separate. And we also have to remember that Kako isn't uh, the best player in terms of separation from a stop. So he's able get a little bit of push so when the defender leans on him he obviously moves forward the defender moves back that creates a little bit of separation that he wouldn't get otherwise um and then you can also look at the strength in terms of how he's getting to the net in terms of uh both for shooting and as a passer so he'll have someone on his back which you're going to see a lot of and he will drag them to where he wants to be and he'll find a seam and a big part of that is because he's putting his hips through the attacker or the defender sorry so he's putting his hips through the defender's hand through their stick and then a lot of guys will try to grab him because he's he's absolutely massive like he's a large dude and he's very powerful and very skilled and so it's you can't really stop him in that regard so i think that's a huge element but it's again with the skill how he brings in the handling how he brings in the edge work like it's rare to see a guy who can you know, he leans on his edges a lot, he swivels his hips, and through that motion, he puts a lot of tension into his body, which allows him to separate with the cuts, but it also allows him to sort of deflect any traffic that comes at him, which is super unique in the realm of hockey. You don't see guys do that very often. Like, this is a skill that, you know, is kind of reserved for, like, the Sidney Crosby's of the world. Oh, this is, this is a lot for me. We, <laughs> I might yeah. be crying. What? Ryan, as Ryan walks this one off, because I, I think he needs at least five minutes to himself here. Uh, we, we, we obviously could go on for hours about how great and special Kako is, and we'd, we'd be the exact two guys you want to spend that hour with. But I, I, I do think your takes on Kravtsov might be more interesting right now simply because he's still this great unknown. He hasn't necessarily played well in Hartford to start this year. But as the Rangers were playing bad and worse as the year went on last year, a lot of us turned to the KHL. We saw this teenager literally carrying an otherwise bad hockey team in Tractor to the playoffs or to the verge of the playoffs. And everyone says this team has, if, if not for Kravtsov, they'd not be generating offense. He's doing things, Russian teenagers, with the exception of the Evgeny Kuznetsovs and Artemi Panarins of the world simply haven't done. So all of a sudden, it was this perfect storm of hype that was building for Kravtsov. And I I think you feel some of it was warranted for sure. 
what can we take from that as something that will carry over to the NHL? And what do we need to separate as myth from fact? Well, I think it's really important to emphasize just how bad Tractor Shelley Vince was last year. Like, they're bad, and they didn't score a lot of goals. Like, they scored fewer than two goals per game. But what is particularly troublesome is that Kraftstov is an off-the-rush creator. When you're big and you're skilled and you can stick handle like he can, you want to create off the most dangerous situation in hockey, and that's transition. Unfortunately, there was no one on his team who was a transition scorer. The only guy who scores goals in transition was Christian Thomas, but that was like circa 2014, and he didn't even play with him. Like They weren't on the same line very much, so he didn't have anyone to work with. It was, it was almost like, like running your eyes through a cheese grater watching how Tractor would play hockey. You have an incredibly talented young player. And you are mitigating his most significant asset, his ability to create and transition. It, it was kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, but in terms of development, obviously right now he's in a tricky position. Hartford is good. They're going to be fun to watch this year, especially if Philip Till stays down for long, which he shouldn't. He shouldn't even be down there. But if he does, anyway. I don't think he'll uh, stay down all that long. We'll see. I hope, I hope not. Uh, you know, the benching of him because of the turnover the other game, uh, this is Kravstov, was kind of ridiculous to me because there's going to be a turn, there's going to be turnovers in his game. He's a stick handler. He likes to beat guys. That's the beauty of his game. When you make a player who's that skilled, you have to run with the risk. And you don't want him to change that game because that's what makes him so dynamic. Now, I think there is a lot of talk, you know, the people were expecting him, you know, this is just how hype works to come in and instantly be a first line center, you know, or a first line winger, a second line winger, he's going to be the answer. I don't think that was realistic either because, you know, he's a 19-year-old kid moving across the world, and there's going to be an adjustment curve both on and most importantly off the ice. And that's huge. That's such a such an underrated part of how this works out. And if he goes back to the KHL, I don't think it's a huge deal. He has a lot to learn in the KHL this year. Um, he's going to have to redo the adjustment curve in terms of the off-ice stuff, but it's not going to be as significant. You know, he's got his feet wet. He's played some games. But the talent is truly, truly unmistakable. Like, I, can t I could sit here and talk about his puck handling and the mechanics behind it and how he integrates his feet and the fakes and everything for hours. You are looking at a guy who, even if he doesn't become the top line winger that I think Rangers fans are hoping or even expecting, he's going to be a fan favorite. Makes stops defensively. He absolutely embarrasses defenders every game. He's going to be the type of guy who's going to do that, whether he's playing on the third line or on the first line. And that's what's exciting about him. So we were we were all silly when on draft night 2018, uh, mm. a certain number of podcasters that may or may not be talking to you right now, fairly upset that the Rangers didn't take Oliver Wallstrom with the ninth overall pick. We have very much clearly changed that opinion since then, but there's also very public recordings and records of two certain guys who happen to live in the state of New York that were uh upset no I, don't, I don't think those exist anymore I, uh, they might have been deleted accidentally i'm kidding anyway keep going that's, that's just we're, we were wrong in the moment i guess to say that wallstrom was going to be better weren't we uh 
I mean, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of time for Wallstrom to get everything back on track. I was personally a Wallstrom over Kraftstov person as well. And I think when I was watching Kraftstov last year, especially in September, so before Wallstrom had really played, I was I was cringing a fair bit because I think that I didn't have Kraftstov high enough. And the beauty of, of prospect stuff is that you're never actually right, even if players make the NHL that you think we're going to make the NHL. You're just kind of less wrong. And you know, I, I think I think I was extremely wrong with Kravstov and circling back and watching him this year. Like I, I didn't mention this in the article, but I ended up watching forty some games of Kravstov to write that article. Sheesh! So you're was, you're it, you're one of the like top most experts on Kravstov then. It started out as you know I I, I I try to watch enough games until I'm comfortable with a player, and then I watch a few more, and twenty more because of entertainment value. Seriously, well, that's... it was it was so good. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, you've really described a lot of Kravtsov's games so far. What do you think is holding him back where, where he is? Where I mean, in the AHL, hasn't recorded a point yet as far as when I think it was last week. It's been a, it's been a little bit of a tough ride. Are you, are you assuming the transition has just maybe got him down? I don't know. You're, I'm making like judgments here. Maybe you don't know any of this. Yeah, I think I think it's mostly the adjustment. That's that's really what I think it is. Uh, we can go back to like this, one of the ideas that I talked about with Kako, and that's the, when you're based as a puck handler, when your game is less about moving the puck quickly to your teammates using passing triangles, one touch, one timer, stuff like that. There's a bit more of an adjustment curve because you're dealing with your surroundings. You are now an individual, and you're trying to isolate the play, which then results in you know you might get double teamed. And Kravstov is going to get double teamed, but in particular, he's a, I guess I would describe him as like a dangler or whatever word you want to use. You know, he's looking to break ankles whenever he, whenever the ever chance he gets really. Um, and when you look at it in terms of how it compares to NHL habits, it's really good. I mean, first off, he sets the moves up on a curve, usually with a series of crossovers or a C cut angled towards the player who he's about to absolutely embarrass. Uh, he changes the speed of his maneuvers through. Uh, the attack. Sometimes he slows down to get the defender to reach. Sometimes he speeds up to get the defender sitting back. And then he also transmits a bunch of false information. So when you see that between the legs move that he loves to do, he's a lot of guys, you know, they just kind of have their chest uh, square to where they're going to go. And he actually turns his chest inwards towards the slot, which then, you know, as a defender, you're watching the chest of the player, not the stick. And so then you read him as about to cut. And so when he pulls that move, uh, pulls that puck between his legs, he has an easier time getting around. It's it's really flashy, but it's also low risk. However, the issue is that if you mess up once, then it looks like a bad decision, and then it looks like a high-risk play, even though it's not. It's just a matter of probability. Sometimes things don't work out. Like, I would rather have Kraftstov trying to dangle everyone, given the skill level and the ability to make plays, than I would have I don't know, insert some random player trying to dump the puck in. And sure, they might be successful at the same rate, but you're going to generate a higher quality chance with what Kraftstov is doing. And so I think there might be also some adjustment from the coaching staff in Hartford to, you know, deal with the fact that you have a very outwardly flashy player who might be outwardly risky, but in reality, he's not. And he just needs a larger sample size to prove that he's going to make these plays consistently and make them in a way that doesn't hinder his team at all. Again, he has the patterns, he has the footwork, he has the skill, and of course he has that magic touch, you know, like little backhands to redirect the puck that's going between his own legs and between the defender's legs. Like, who thinks of that? That is unbelievable skill. It's going to work out for him. It's just a matter of when.
And in your estimation, we all know what Hartford was last year, which was, to put it lightly, a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, so they are they are no worse than average this year, which in your mind is a perfect environment for someone like Kravtsov to develop in. Sure. I mean, I don't know the coaching staff personally, and I don't know their development team personally, but I can't I, – I don't think it's going to be going forward, provided that – you know, they start making adjustments and, you know, make it a little bit more of a, a meritocracy. Like, I think Kravstov getting benched for a turnover should have resulted in, you know, half of the team getting benched that game. But, you know, whatever. That's, that's just my thoughts. You're just, and you're just one man. I, you, at, the yeah. beginning, uh, at the beginning of this uh, interview, you rather said, yeah, we could talk about a lot of other prospects, too. I guess I'd be remiss or I'd miss an opportunity here, rather, if we didn't talk about Keandre Miller and his uh, year so far. Uh, what can Ranger fans expect of Keandre Miller, who didn't start playing defense until uh, two years ago, I believe? Yeah, that's probably my favorite player in all of hockey. Um, he's, he is truly, truly one of the most exceptional defenders that you have in hockey. I'm not saying he's going to be an elite player or even a top pairing defenseman, but in terms of the level of skill that he brings, in terms of the efficiency you're looking at a guy who's going to make a unique impact in the NHL. And I don't know if it's going to be, you know, as a, you know, a middle pairing guy, or if he's going to be a premium Jeff Petrie, you know, the guy who can run the power play, shoot, play the penalty kill, make stops defensively while being his entire career. But when I think of, when I think of Miller, I think of this, I think of a guy who he's consistent, he's efficient and he's skilled. He can lead the rush or he can trail it, and in both situations he creates. It doesn't matter what he's doing. And then on the power play, he can be the shooter, quarterback, and as we've seen this year with Wisconsin, he can be playing on the goal line, or he can be playing in the in the middle of the umbrella. Like, there's just so much versatility to what he does, and he's not going to blow you away with flashing moves or, you know, this ridiculous uh, wrist shot. But what he is going to do is he's going to consistently make these plays. And when you consistently make these plays, they, they compound, right? If you're going out and every other shift, you're creating a good look for your teammate. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, like a, a cross lot ripper. It just has to be a pass that after you or before you pass it, you kind of skate down. So you force the defense to adjust and then you pass it to a teammate who's more open to get a better shot. That's what Miller's game is. And that's what really stands out. Also, there's the defense. To steal a basketball term, he's uh, incredibly switchable. So it doesn't matter if he's uh, defending the ultra-fast, ultra-skilled players of the NCAA or he's, I don't know, like going up against Coke machines or aircraft carriers. He's going to outmuscle you, he's going to outwork you, and he's going to outskill you. He closes gaps incredibly quickly. His footwork is so precise. It's got all on his crossovers. He doesn't cross over until the, def- or the attackers already decided where they're going. There's so much reach and versatility and creativity in his game defensively that it's just, it, he's, he's truly exceptional to watch. And I know this year hasn't been a great start for him. He's made a few mistakes that he doesn't, ha- that he doesn't normally make. He had the suspension, but uh, everything that I know about him off the ice and everything, everyone that I've talked to paints to an exceptional young man to match the hockey ability. And I don't think there's going to be much other than just like the regular risk of a prospect. Like there's uncertainty always. Right. But other than the regular uncertainty, there's nothing that says to me that he's not going to hell for a long time. Future captain. Mitch, my, uh, my, my next prospect question, it kind of comes from 
I still know a lot of Ranger fans who will complain about the Ryan McDonough trade. And when I try and bring up Niels Lundqvist, they don't either understand the type of prospect he is or get so caught up in the player that Ryan McDonough was that they try not to think about it. But from what I've seen so far this year, Lundqvist is starting to take the Swedish league by storm. Is he a guy Ranger fans need to be putting either in the same conversation with Keandre Miller or maybe even giving a little bit more emphasis to? Well, I, th- I think Miller's a bit better. I think Miller just projects a little bit nicer to the NHL and it doesn't have anything to do with size or anything like that. It just simply has to do with what he's creating and the consistency and the defensive impact and, you know, the absolute nonchalant way that he can bully four checkers and make an incredible pass. With, with Lundqvist, it's very, um, it's very interesting to watch his game because, you know, I kind of looked at his stats the other day and I think he had 15 points in 18 games between Champions Hockey League and SHL. And my eyes basically exploded out of their sockets. It was, it was so unexpected because even though I've caught him play this year with Julio, he's, he's not the type of guy who's making high skill plays all the time. He's not a particularly flashy player in any regard. Like sure, he'll make that slick cut back to evade a four tracker and then get the puck up the ice. And sure, he'll make the odd nice rush and get to the net. But his game is more in the simple details, you know, the quick passes here, well-placed shot, good break up on the rush. And truthfully, I wasn't that high on him in his draft year. And I certainly wasn't all that high on him uh, when I saw him in other international play. But this year, again, I think I've only seen three games. But in those three games, he looks like a top pairing defenseman, <laughs> which is pretty exceptional for a 19-year-old playing from hockey. Just over here clapping and having a very good time. I now want to ask you about 17 more prospects, but I don't believe we would have the time. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll, let's let's wrap it up with this one, Ryan. Is it Carl? Uh, no. Who's who's the prospect you think Ranger fans aren't paying enough attention to? Is there a guy that you think is flying under the radar that you want to grab us by our collective shoulders and shake sense into us? Uh. I don't know how much do you guys know about Joey Keane? Like I'm not too connected into. into he's a good. He's a good kid. He's a local kid. You know. That's all I know. <laughs> we're, <laughs> right. we're, jo- Joey Joey Keane has fans on this podcast and fans in the in the uh, in the ranks of people we talk to. But we are always ready for more positive things about Joey Keane. So I, I think I have. I actually think I have. I think I have two guys here that might be of interest. But Joey Keane is, you know. Uh, he's kind of a late bloomer, I think. Um, he should have been drafted in his first year of eligibility, but he just didn't have the numbers to match the skill. Uh, they aligned two years ago. And then since then, we've kind of seen the the skill of Joey Keane move from, oh, that was a quick little move, to he just skated past an entire team from his own zone, straight up the middle, dangled a guy, and then scored a goal. Like, there's so much flash in the way that he rushes the puck up the ice, and you never, again, kind of like, craft stop you never feel that it's all that risky in what he's doing and then you also get the defensive element and the transition element he's an incredible one-on-one defender great stick work good recovery speed he directs players to the boards chops them off goes through their hands pokes the puck away Uh, just super consistent in what he does I've heard someone describe him that I trust a lot as the best one-on-one defender in the OHL last year well I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that that thought is certainly there and then the second guy I would like to uh, raise some interest in too. Man, there are so many. Like I have all these names like Carl Henriksen, yep. Zachary Jones, uh, 
so many guys off to great starts. Do you see Jones is like seven points four games to start this year, and he's a defender. I'm ready to roll, baby. We got we're, we're stacked it's, it's up on that. defense. And then Matthew Robertson is kind of just you know he's a discount Keandre Miller. You know uh, he's not as not quite as talented, but just plays the minutes, uh, makes a lot of great transition plays, well pressured. But anyway, so the guy that I'm rather interested in is uh, Lori uh, Pajuniemi. He he stood out to me for a number of ways. I don't know if the skill level is all that high, but he looks like a guy you could you know plug in your fourth line in a couple of years, and he'll provide some depth scoring, some energy, some defensive acumen. And every once in a while, he is going to absolutely posterize someone because he's so quick on his feet and he's got a real nice touch with the puck. So he's a guy I'd keep an eye on for sure. I feel like I cover the team and the athletic, like they hired us to cover the team. I have no idea who that is. I've never heard of that person. Then you don't listen to Drew because Drew, Drew has talked about him extensively. It's hard to listen to Drew so often, you know, he's always just posterizing me. (laughs) Well, Mitch, I appreciate you coming on. Seriously, this was an incredibly insightful interview. Um, you'll definitely have to come back on in the future, especially when we draft in the top four next year. So that's going to be tough. Yeah, I would love to come back on. I have lots of Quentin Byfield thoughts, so I'd be more than willing to contribute. Who do you have number one right now? Just I have to ask now that you said that. Oh, come on. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting anyone over Lafreniere yet. Okay. All right. Listen, yeah. I, a lot of people do. It's, it's been on and off, so we'll, we'll see. Um, Mitch, why don't you plug what you do other than obviously the athletic? So right on the athletic, right about prospects. Hopefully once, uh, uh, once my, uh, health gets a little bit better, you'll be able to see my writing a bit more. And then I also work for EP ringside. I'm the director of North American scouting or something of that. Like it's a large title mm-hmm. or a relatively minuscule human being, but um, you can read my work on there. I have more stuff coming out soon. We're going to have a draft guide. We're going to have draft rankings. And I hope that you'll join us on Elite Prospects and also check everything out on the wonderful website called The Athletic. Uh, and I also saw that you rock climb according to your Twitter profile picture, unless I was lying. Uh, yeah, yeah, rock climbing. I'm into, I'm into rock climbing. My Re- girlfriend is actually more into it than I am. Uh, she's, really, she's really good. I'm rather mediocre. Um, and so I just tag along like she, she's, she's a really strong climber. We are uh, the exact same boat. We are literally the same person in that regard. Oh, I, nice. I just started bouldering. I do. I'm doing like a V2 and crying all the time. No one knows what we're talking about, but Mitch, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. I talk, really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Transition to the end. <laughs> An amazing interview with Mitch Brown. Truly. Uh, I, I should have, never... you know what? Now that I think about it, I should have asked him who he thought was going to be the next manager of the New York Mets. Mm. that should be our running that, that should <laughs> it's too late now because they're probably going to announce a guy in the next 10 days but yeah. our running bit should have just been asking everyone we've had on in the last two weeks who they think is going to manage the Mets. And, and ryan are you a mets fan no i'm not um i t- and, and greg do you care no yeah I do he does not um mark uh according to my twitter poll the i tweeted mark twitter poll i literally just tweeted mark stall bad 33 likes in an hour not bad with no- <laughs> like I said, easiest, easiest content on Twitter. No no context. Mark Stahl not playing. Just said Mark Stahl bad. Easiest. Um, easiest easiest layup in Twitter history. So easy. All right. Uh, this has been our show for the week. You can follow me on Twitter at Orion Mead and Greg. At yeah, hold on a second. Hold on a second here, you verified son of a bitch. Wait, what's wrong? You, this is about our fans. I just, no, I just wanted to. I, just, I actually just wanted to say that. I just wanted to call you a verified <laughs> son of a bitch. It was very strange. I just like. 
opened my Twitter. It was like, you're verified. It was like I got followed by the verified thing, got the big flat blue check mark, and I was like, that's weird. And then I got followed by yeah. a bunch of bots, like, pretty quickly. <laughs> so by a bunch of people that are followed by, like, 400,000 people, they're like, uh, we're here, entrepreneur. We'll help you be an entrepreneur. We're, we're running a business. Like, all those people followed me very quickly. <laughs> and Zach Boychuk, was he one of the people that he, also followed you very quickly? Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. We'll get uh. there. Um, but we'll get there. But yeah, I think you'll be verified once you stop tweeting about the Mets. You know, it's gonna be. In that instance, I never want to be verified. Fuck it, leave me unverified. Leave me out in the wild. No, I Let's think go. I think it has to do with the branding versus individual. If I, I, I do, I think that's exactly what it is because, like, the individual basically all you need is like you just need to prove that you are the person in your profile picture. Yeah. Whereas it, with blue shirts breakaway, it's like. Are you? And I'm like, I don't know how to explain this, but yes. Yes, it's me. It is Greg. Um, yeah, I don't understand either. But yeah, speaking of which, you can follow me on Orion Mead, and you can uh, follow Greg there. I think I'm allowed to do this at this point in time. So, Uh-oh. if you want stickers from us. Oh, yeah, you know, this is allowed. This is allowed. If you want stickers from us, we have three amazing stickers come out. A Pick Your Beat Writer, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sticker, a Bush's Breakaway logo sticker, which, you know, very boring, but classy. Very classy. And then it's upgraded. It is. It's very, very new. Empirical Designs, your go-to need uh, for all design needs. Whatever I just said there. And then, of course, the Wow, It's a Nice City Capococco postcard sticker, which is an all-time sticker. You can subscribe to our Patreon. You can go to our Patreon.com slash Bush's Breakaway today. And speaking of which, I want to thank our supporters. Mad Dog Brian Doyle, Tori from Manhattan, Thomas O'Neill, one of the original OGs, Eric Stagg, someone I text very often, uh, Mike Smith, Ben, ben Weber, who I actually had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting our time at Panarin with last week, uh, Billy Huff, Johnny Thundercock, Ben Waters, and of course, you can check out Sean Taggart, another one of our supporters, when he uh, does his podcast, Hanging with the Pack, and he covers all things Harvard at all points in time. All right, I think that covers everything for the week. Um, if you are still interested in going to see the Carolina game with Greg and I on December 27th, I believe tickets are still available. Uh, I think there's a couple left for the sweet game, so message me on Twitter, the verified one. That's me. You can message me, and I will respond, and say you just want tickets to the game. I'll give you some pricing. And that's it. Anything else, Greg? Uh... Savenya, vadia, vada, savada. Uh, all I'm going to say... Mm-hmm. Carlos Beltran 2020. Yeah, yeah. We have some pretty good guests coming up uh, in the next couple weeks. And if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet. I'm actually really, I'm actually really excited for next week's show. Is next week's the band? Yeah. Okay, cool. We have a band and that I like, legitimately like coming on. JD and the Straight Shot. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I would die. It's not. I, if that is, if people ask who your dream guest would be, mm-hmm. I would want James Dolan on this podcast not even to talk about the Knicks or the Rangers. Yeah. I just need to know everything about that music. I, I legitimately and cur- I am curious about it because I did listen to a full album once and did a live tweet about it. And I got to be honest, there's some there's some points where it's like, okay, I see what he's going for here. It's not as bad as I thought. And there are other yeah, parts but, where I'm like, hmm, <laughs> it is it is uh, my favorite just running stupidity that anytime someone we follow that we respect is just like, you know what? I'm in the mood for new, some new music albums. Give me what you like. And I'm always like, good luck and good night, JD and Straight Chat. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't have a good answer here. Um, that's because it's it's, the, that's the only answer you want a new album to listen to everyone should go out and download good luck and good night by jd and the straight yes, chat so we gotta have a listening party together it'd be very fun um 
yeah, we got Stray the Path coming up next week. It's going to be awesome. I might go to one of their shows and, and uh, also Mosh Pit and the Kapopa outfit. So we'll see. Good times are coming. Happy weekend for everyone. If you want to check us out, we'll be posting again later this week on The Athletic. We love each and every one of you except for like maybe one or two individuals. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.